0: You're listening to 3CR Community Radio, 855 AM. Visit the 3CR website at 3cr.org.au forward slash podcast to hear the most recent recording from each show or 3cr.org.au forward slash streaming to listen live.
1: You have tuned in to 3CR's program Behind Closed Doors. This programme explores all topics related to sex work. We give sex workers and allies a comfortable space to share their experiences. We also appreciate questions from the general public. Behind closed doors, aim to uncover what the sex industry is really like. Our programme exists to bridge the gaps. Please be mindful, this programme is not suitable for little years as there may also be explicit language use. Please connect with us on Twitter at bcd3cr or email us at bcd3cr at gmail.com.
2: Hi everyone and welcome to Behind Closed Doors, Australia's only sex worker radio show on community radio station 3CR 855 AM and digital. I'm Dean. Hi Sassy. Hi. I'm very excited. This person is very intriguing to me. I've heard a lot about Sandra personally and professionally. And I've seen, you know, the, the podcasts and her being interviewed on television. Sassy, can you tell me more wow. about who Sandra is?
1: I would describe her as a wonder woman because she do a lot of things. Us in presence. She's a very strong advocate for the LGBTQI community. She's an ex-sex worker, also an entrepreneur. She has a book and she's also a mom. Welcome to our show. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it.
2: There's so much to discover about Sandra Pankhurst. So, Sandra, let's go back to the start. You grew up in Melbourne, Victoria, and this is all in your book and the various interviews that you've done. You've had a quite you know, traumatic and abusive childhood, and we're all very sorry to hear that. And then from there, you were able to live your life, and you found yourself, you transitioned, and you became the amazing woman that you are now. So you were into stripping and, and doing uh, being a showgirl and then also working in brothels.
0: Well, I suppose how it came about is because I was involved in the drag shows, also working clubs at nights and things like that, but it was never enough income because it was really, in those days, it was considered to be a bit of a sideshow and it didn't pay much money, but the m- promoters made a lot of money. And so during the day we didn't know much better and we couldn't really get jobs in those days so we had to do sex work to supplement our income and so we sort of used to work during the the day on the streets of St Kilda and then we'd go and do the clubs at night. It was a pretty full and wild life, it was something we had to do really to survive if you wanted any sort of a decent income you know like a lifestyle And, of course, I personally like a good lifestyle, so I needed the money. Anyhow, with that, then I sort of worked around the clubs. And it was very hard to work in those days too because we were drag and because we were prostitutes and all that. We weren't really seen by the police in those days as being very acceptable or very wanted in the community. And so they've become a stage there at one stage where we only could do bondage and discipline on ourselves to make an income. So it was very, very tough in the early days to sort of to get work and things like that. There were the 20 buck knock shops.
2: What time period are we looking at? The, the 80s?
0: We're looking at the probably, yeah, early, early, early 80s.
2: Mhm. So we're talking about the early eighties in Victoria, which is the yes. state that we're located in. We're talking about uh, that there are no really that there were no rights, uh, or no human rights for trans people.
0: That's correct. Yeah.
2: And and so from what you're saying, uh, in order to survive, to have a job, to have an income, a trans woman found work uh, and employment in uh, the Sex industry and what you were saying is in regards to wording as well. So in the eighties and nineties, people use the word prostitutes, yep. and nowadays we use the word sex worker. So we're giving our listener historical context.
0: Right. Yeah.
2: Mm. How did you find that kind of work? I mean, it, um, was it well known? Were there? I mean, you're talking about the St Kilda street scene. Was it well known? Is that why you know you gravitated towards certain areas and certain nightclubs?
0: Yes, we did. Um, It was like word on the street with everyone else that you knew through the LGBTQI community that this is what was the dumb thing to do. Might I add also that I used to run a laboratory prior to this for John Darling's flour mills and they never wanted me to give up my job. But because I have such high standards in things that I had to give up that job because I couldn't expect reps and things like that to come in and see me with the little titties starting to pop through and the makeup on and the blouses getting more see-through and <laughs> the likes of that. So I didn't feel I could command the respect that I needed to have to have that job, not knowing what I was going to get myself into, which was the prostitution. But I was always sort of led on to do things. My, my ideals weren't naturally thought out properly I just stumbled across things as I did in life which led me to the shows and to the prostitution in hindsight would I have done it probably not but then I wouldn't have the experiences I have today to talk about so I'm quite willing to talk about it it was an interesting life it was a wild life
2: so historically speaking life in the 1980s the 1970s for people who are LGBTQI+. And Sandra, from what you're saying, you know, it's based on word of mouth. It seems very underground.
0: Really underground in those days because we didn't have like to apply for a job or anything like that because we weren't really accepted, you know. It's a trial and error thing. And it's also what we feel comfortable with at that particular given time, given the supports we've got around us. You know, so like if the people we're associating with, um, such as the LGBT community and whatever, when we first start all this, are supporting us, that's what we know. That's the information we have. So we rely on that heavily to support each other, to understand what the next step or where we're going or what we're going to do. Because like I was pretty naive when I started all this too, because I, I didn't know that, transgender could be for real. I'd seen drag shows and things like that and also always realised they always had big chokers on and then they had the rock hard tits and then I thought this must be plastic from here down, you know, they covered it with the choker. Little did I realise that you could have your own breast, you could have your own fanny, you could have your own everything if you wanted to. <laughs> you know, so the choice was wild. So the support system was very important in those days.
1: Talking about the employment, I think trans people are still have difficulties of getting jobs. Right. A lot of trans people are going through homelessness as well because they are not employed and they don't have any employment certificates to show that they have a job to apply for uh, an apartment. have a few of the trans people in the past where they are homeless and the brothels actually is a safe space for them to live there for a while but i don't see any future in there
0: the time being for the time Mm. being but Mm. we all develop and go differently like my experience was that no matter what i've done in my life i do to 150 percent yes i know that clean a toilet i clean a toilet better than anyone if Mm. i'm gonna Be a prostitute, I'm going to be the best prostitute. And I went to work in Kalgoorlie and made a lot of money in Kalgoorlie. The downside of that was I used to fly back and get Mandy's in the old days, and it was Mandy's made you randy. And so we used to pop these pills and we could do untold things.
2: Sandra, what's a Mandy?
0: A pill called Mandrax.
1: Oh, so it's like a Viagra?
0: No, no, not a Viagra. It's a. antidepressant or a, a sleeping ah, type pill. Oh, it's like a Xanax. Yeah. So ah. you would take that pill and you would be as horny as all hell and Ooh. you'd do any, anything for money. You know? Where can
1: I get this pill then?
0: You can't do <laughs> <laughs> uh, You know, like the, the side effects of that are not good either because, mm. like, I remember working in Kalgoorlie and you had all your little letter boxes outside in the common area Well, I was room one in house one. So room one, I had my letter box and you have a little notebook and you write Sandra and what the deed for the day was, whether well, it's 50, 100, 150 or more, you'd write down, on I used to make really good money. But then the next morning when I'm sort of woken up and getting my shit together and I'm cleaning my room, I'm sort of going, oh, He's a sneaky fifty underneath that, and all. he's a sneaky hundred and fifty under that, and his money here. There's money, and I'm thinking, what did I do last night? <laughs> you know, like, I did things that I don't even know I did in those days. Oh you know, my so god! So I made half dollar, but it gave me the ability to fly back to Melbourne every three months and go doctor shopping and get these pills.
2: Again, it's a different time period, so it, I guess this time. is the eighties again. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so, very different time period. And again, to put the historical context in, anyone really could go doctor shopping for all of these uh, med- uh, medications, these drugs,
1: prescriptions.
2: Yeah. yeah. And, and so, you know, it's now a yeah. different situation, different world situation. Different. Well, yeah. now, yeah, where, you know, there's more tightening of regulations and rules. everyone, and welcome to Behind Closed Doors on 3CR 855 AM and Digital. I'm Dean, and Sassy and I have been chatting with the one and only Sandra Pankhurst.
1: About the Kargooli brothel, I, really, I heard about this brothel before, and a lot of people have made so much money from that place, and I believe it's still there, isn't it, till now?
0: Yeah, but it doesn't make money like it used to now because it's more or less a tourist thing now And they had money of doing tours. It's very, very quiet these days. So it was, in some ways, you could say I was at the right place at the right time. Farewell. We didn't have AIDS or anything. We had syphilis and gonorrhea. But we could check that because we used to check their cocks every time they'd come into a room and wash it and clean it and, and see whether they had anything. But these days, you can't protect against AIDS or whatever the diseases
1: we've got. No, we can. We can. We, we, we take this medication. It's called Preps. Uh, oh. You protect you from protecting um, HIV from another person. And also, a person who has HIV who being treated can't pass um, the disease to another person.
2: Nowadays, we've had incredible uh, medical breakthroughs. So, people who are um, HIV positive live longer. The medications are better, but we still have other sexually transmitted diseases, or STIs, as they're now known. So we still have to be very careful.
1: Trauma Cleaner, which has won awards. Would you like to tell us a bit about that book? It's
0: called The Trauma Cleaner by Sarah Krasnastain. It has been the most wonderful experience to me because for many years I just lived my life and I worked on the ability that I work 150%. My morals and principles are 150%. But if people had a problem with me, they had a problem with my gender, that was their problem, not my problem. But Mm. now after having the book done, it's been so cathartic and so liberating, I feel like I don't have to hide behind anything more. I can be myself, I can be who I am I have an opinion that might not always agree with everyone else, but I'm still going to have it, whether you like it or not. I'm very opinionated. I'm very political. When I see injustice, I I bring it to the fore.
2: For listeners who who aren't aware of what the Trauma Cleaner book is about, it's basically a biography of Sandra's life. And I can't believe they managed to fit it into one book. It should have been like a multi-volume piece
0: we had to limit it down to to be honest with you dean book number two coming soon Uh, there is i'm working on book number two um it's going to be a more in-depth into my childhood and things that we couldn't put in this book and what's happened to me since the book has come out how it's given me the confidence to public speak and travel around and organize a new existence for myself, and also the things that have happened since, like the lung surgery, the embezzlement out of my business, and all the the now retiring virtually from the business, even though I'm still on the phone and checking the audio visuals of work and making sure everything's running properly, I have a very different lifestyle now.
2: Sandra, we we had previously discussed that you know you we worked in the uh, as a sex worker in the eighties in Melbourne, Victoria, and the discrimination, the stigma of being a, a, a transgendered person, let alone a sex worker. How did you? Change from those times to where you are now, and all the different businesses that you've had. Where did you get the strength and the confidence to do all these different jobs? So you've been, a, you know, a funeral director. You have your own specialist cleaning business. You know, you've also had hardware stores. You've been this incredible business person.
0: Actually, it's very interesting because out of adversity, my life become much better, and I had come back from over. Kalgoorlie and all that doing what I was doing and I worked here in a brothel in Clayton. Anyhow we had an incident one night there was two of us working Kay and myself we heard all of a sudden the lights went off and we just sh**ed ourselves you know we're sitting in a brothel I'm there rolling a joint she's getting changed from the last mug the lights all went off and we sort of panicked like that and next minute there was this god almighty sound it was like a mat truck just come through the front door and then the lights flicked back on but before we even knew it I had I was with my back to the door in the hallway I was the first one to be grabbed by the hair and then Kay was just screaming panicking we had to strip off and we had this awful ordeal for a couple of hours there then we were taken away naked to a vacant block of land, and like in those days, when you had a news bullet and it was something serious, we envisaged ourselves walking to our death that night anyhow we're over at the land for quite some time I whispered to Kay because he just had these glazed look eyes like there was something was really strange I said to Kay I'm gonna grab him by the balls and I'm gonna squeeze him so goddamn hardy or do I know what day of the week it is and you run and get help so anyhow I did that and he didn't even flinch. He didn't make an iota of sound. He just laughed like this crazy man laughing. I then decided to run, falling over and was panicking and I was crying. And so I got back to the house. I went outside and we had a security dog. I got at the back and I was hiding my money in one of the very back rooms. And then I looked out in the hallway like that and then he'd the light back on and I could, he could see me and I could see him. I shit myself. By that time, I had a towel I could put around me. I get cold when I, every time I talk about this. He'd come looking for me and the dog gave me up where I was hiding around the car. Another mug come into the property and could see what was going on. I ran out screaming, help, help, help. He took off like flash lightning. And then I just went down the street and I was crying. I was desperate. I was hard to breathe and all this sort of stuff. And then I went up to, there was another brothel further, further down the street. And um, anyhow, I was knocking on the door there to, to help me get in and all this. They wouldn't let me in, which was really bizarre. Thank God, just as I was going out the front crying and wondering what the fuck am I going to do, the police come around the corner I rang the madam of the house and said, "It's a help here. The police said to me, are you the one that called? I said, yes, I am. Get in the house. I said, they won't let me in the house. So they turned their siren on and yelled out, let her in the house. <clears throat> so they let me in the house, but they wouldn't speak to me. They wouldn't speak to me at all and just stayed their distance away. The police finally come back, got me, took me to um, get clothes and stuff like that back at the brothel. And then we went into Russell Street headquarters to homicide and then the division and everything there as sexual crimes. But I must say the police then were absolutely fantastic. They treated me with the utmost respect because I weren't going to let this lie. Yes, I might have been a prostitute, but I also had principles and morals that no one should get away with doing this to me. So I was going to take this to the court to the last thing i bloody did anyhow his name was Mel brooks of all names a comedian's name we went through the court case and all this sort of thing the highest respect from the police and i can't thank them more than that even though it was different on other occasions um and this particular occasion it was absolutely mind-blowing i had to do a lineup and the lineup was at the barclay street hotel which is almost the continuation of Inkerman and gray street the mm. barclay streets there and there's a hotel on the corner It was a bit of a bargey's pub in those days and it's now it's got apartments all on top of it and everything like yes. that when we got there in the police car to go and do the id normally you think of an id behind a mirrored door like you see on tv mirrored wall none like that at all. It's Live face-to-face in front of Mm. these guys. They were rough as guts looking. As I got out of the police car, I just looked around, and on top of all the buildings was like the SWAT team with machine guns and flak uniforms and everything. I thought, what the fuck have I got myself into? Out of that, it made me realise, and I ended up winning the case on that, they said to me, oh, you're a big burly girl, you know, you could fight them off. And I said, well, I said, look, the door come off in one piece on its own, but all the architrave around the door was splintered timber. I said, if he could do that to that, what could he do to me? And with that, they changed their plea to guilty. And I never went back to a court case after that. But he did go to jail. After that, the blessing was that I realised I had enough power in myself to be able to get a real job. So, I fought and fought and fought. I started off at Shield Dry Cleaners, working part time. But in those days, I didn't know any different. And I dressed up like I was going to a club at night. So, I had all the big makeup on and everything like that. And I'm working a straight job. So, it didn't take me too long to figure out that I was overdone. So, um, <laughs> the makeup sort of dropped down and things like that. And then from there, I went to black cabs on the radio and i loved that job because it was sort of helping the drivers at night i did the graveyard shift but you weren't allowed to talk to the drivers as always mac one to mac two mac one to mac two you're going to this destination or that destination and i used to talk to the drivers and keep them awake and keep them safe all night and i was constantly getting called into the office that, Sandra, you're not allowed to talk over the phone you're not allowed to talk over the radio reception. I said, but I'm helping these guys because I'd get flowers sent in, I'd get presents sent in, thanks for looking after us and thanks for this and thanks for that. I can't stop not talking to them, so I decided to leave. So I left there and then I got a job in the funeral home and the funeral home, I loved that to death. Then after a while I married a client who I did a funeral for we have a bit of a laugh about that because people say, oh, how did you meet George? Oh, there it is, wife. You know, but it wasn't like that. It was sort of, it was the truth, but it wasn't meant to be like that. We got married and I'd given up work and all that because George wanted me to travel. He was a director of Mackay Rubber and we wanted me to travel with him. So we travelled and all that. And then when I come back, we bought a hardware store in Brighton. Then Bunnings come along seven years later and put us out of business and so I had to reinvent myself then as a cleaner and then I further went on because general domestic cleaning makes no money and when you own the business and you've got 20 staff working for you it's nickels and dimes money in the big picture and because in those days we didn't have to pay staff to work only the time they worked we didn't have to pay them between jobs. Whereas nowadays, you have to pay from start to
2: finish. What time period are we talking about? Since so is the late 90s?
0: Yeah, late 90s. I decided then that I needed to do something to make more money. So because I had contacts in the funeral industry, we got a job straight away. And it was a learning curve. Because like, I always had a nickname as Mrs. Sparkle, but I'm going into houses that are filthy, rotten, the first house that we did was absolutely mind blowing because there were beer bottles halfway up the walls and like like a meter high, every cupboard, every hole in the place had beer or wine containers or something in them stuffed into them. You would have the you know be a wildlife officer because the rats and the mice are running all around you. It was terrifying. So the first house that we did was like 72 hours straight, a girlfriend and I. And in the end, we had to ring up because we'd ridiculously priced this job, but it was our first attempt at it. And um, anyhow, we rang up and said, look, we need an extra 500 bucks because we got down to the fifth layer of flooring that was contaminated. And not only did we have to cut it, we had to pour boiling water over it to break down the glue. It was also riveted. So every time we put a spade under, it would ricochet on our hands and we were tired, exhausted, mentally drained and aching. Our hands were just aching, and like the size of watermelons. So anyhow. How, thought, how do you even stomach that? Well, you do what you've got to <laughs> do to get by. Do you know yeah. what I mean? Yeah, like, yeah. In, after, after a while, like I've learned that, you know, it's like water off a duck's back after a while. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? It's like everything you do, you do for survival, you do yeah. to get where you want to go. And in hindsight, it's now set me up a pretty picture for the rest of my life. <laughs> you know, so you do the hard yards, you get rewarded. You do it ethically, you get rewarded. <clears throat> you know, you've got to have your morals and principles and I've carried them all the way through.
2: In your life of what you've done, when you've had challenges in your life, how have you pulled yourself out of those challenges in those dark places?
0: Because I have a firm belief that out of everything bad, something good happens. And so, like, you go through a horrible experience, but things don't last forever. You know, everything is a cycle in your life. And unless you have upsets in your life, how can you learn to smell the roses at the end, you need to be able to have these conflicts going on in life. And really, that's what life is all about having lessons to learn and improve. Because if you keep making the same mistakes and going back over and over and over it, you're not learning what you're meant to learn in life. So you take these expressions of, you know, what have I done now? And then think, how can I turn it into a positive? We need to look at any obstacles that come in our way are just a lesson for us to learn and to move on to something better. And until we learn these lessons, we're not improving our lifestyle. So we always have to look at life as being a half glass full, participating in life, we're becoming a community member, we're part of a cog of things that happen in life to make us a, a, a normal everyday human being. And I think it's really important that we don't forget what this is. This our powerless computer that we own and we can program it to be whatever we want to be.
2: That rings so true that our mentality and how we see the world can really shape our future.
0: Yeah, well, you look at that in this way. I can tell you a joke and you'd piss your head off, right? Then I can tell you something sad and you'd cry your eyes out. That's how quick the human mind can change. So if we garnish that and fill it with positivity and fill it with possibilities, we have a much better feel to harvest. Do you know what I mean? So it's a matter of our attitude as very, very important, remembering we control how we feel. We are the owners of our own destiny but we need to look at it in a positive light to be able to get the best results out of it. It's very easy to be negative, you know, very easy to be negative, but it's not so easy to be positive and forthright. And that's the challenge that I put
1: to everyone.
2: On that note, we um, are all looking forward to your motivational speaking tour.
1: Fabulous, fabulous. Look Look forward to it. Thank you, Sandra, for coming to our show. It's been a privilege to be speaking with you. I'm always
0: better seeing you. Thank you, Dean, as well. It's been a privilege to be asked to come on the show. And um, if there's anyone we can help in any shape or form, contact the radio station. I'm sure we can work something out between us that we can help you on the way to recovery or a better life.
1: You have been listening to Behind Closed Doors on 855 AM 3CR.
3: Tune in to the station that gives voices to sex workers. Subscribe to 3CR.
2: This is Hey Big Spender by Shirley Bassey.
3: The minute you walk in the joint, I could see you were a man of distinction. A real big spender so refined I said, wouldn't you like to know what's going on in my mind So let me get right to the point I don't pop my cork for every man I see Big Spender Spend A little time with me Wouldn't you like to have fun show you a good time let me show you a good time the minute you walked in the joint i could see you were a man of distinction a real big spender good looking so refined i said wouldn't you like to know what's going on in my mind so let me get right to the point i don't pop my cork for every man